Only Neighbourhood Beesine co-founder. I am recording this before I've actually eaten anything, which might be a bad idea with hindsight, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I've been pretty good recently. It's uh, it's currently just past the Easter bank holiday, so I've had a bit of time off work, which is really nice. And I feel like everyone's on holiday at the moment. Like I've seen a lot of videos and pictures and stuff in my social media feeds of people being on holiday, which is definitely, definitely giving me the itch. Um, I guess it's because it's Easter holidays or a lot of people are off school or uni or their kids are off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely giving me FOMO. And like people say that to me all the time because I live in, um, for those of you who don't know, I live in Senegal, which is the westernmost country of mainland Africa. And when I talk about being jealous of people's holidays, they always say things like, oh, well, you live on holiday, which is kind of true. Um, but it's not like I go to the beach every day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I also, it makes me miss stuff like, um, I don't know, colder climates, like, you know, having, or having like mountains and hiking, that kind of stuff. Cause where I live is like, um, it's very coastal. Um, we've got kind of like river mangrove deltas and we've got desert and we've got obviously beach and very hot weather but I do miss kind of rolling green hills and stuff um so yeah no I've been seeing a lot of travel on my feeds recently and that's great like I feel so happy for people especially after you know some people haven't traveled really in like two three years because of the pandemic but what's giving me the most joy at the moment is seeing my friends and people I know going to Asia because obviously Loads of countries, particularly in East Asia and Southeast Asia, have been closed off for so long because of COVID. It's just bringing me so much joy seeing people going, either going traveling, going on holiday or like visiting family. It just, oh, it's, it's I'm not going to lie, it's also making the cogs turn in my head as well. Now that there's a possibility, I kind of just want to take advantage of it while I can. Um, definitely planning a trip to Vietnam with my partner um, in the coming months anyway. Uh, so I'm really, really excited for that. Um, so my guest today was the wonderful Kat Lu of the community movement, I guess, Subtle Asian Baking. You've probably heard of groups like Subtle Asian Traits and um, Subtle Asian Baking is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it's, it's really, it's a huge community of bakers, I suppose, or baking aficionados, baking appreciators. Um, I, I'm by no means a baking aficionado, but I do appreciate baked goods. Um, and I, what I loved about the conversation that we had was that it's, it spoke a lot to the imposter in me. Um, you know, a lot of the recipes are kind of just vaguely based around a taste that's familiar or, um, you know, a particular ingredient that is, that, that is kind of borrowed from some type of cooking. Um, it's not kind of pretending to be any authentic this or fusion that. It's very much just um, taking something and experimenting with it and seeing what it gives. And the beautiful thing is that this is a you know worldwide community 
um, and cats really the face of this community, but it's a worldwide community that can really come together to um, either just kind of support each other, but also to do real good. And she's done some amazing things with fundraising, um, like for the uh, Stop Asian Hate movement and most recently for um, to support Ukrainian refugees and I think in the time where there is so much to be angry about and Kat spoke with so much grace about these things, you know, she didn't and doesn't shy away from really important topics and from talking about, you know, everyday experiences of racism and systemic racism. There is so much in the world to be angry about. It's fantastic to see what can be done when communities work together. Um, and she was very um, she was very emphatic about the fact that you know, the members of this community are not all Asian people, um, which I thought was really wonderful as well. And it was just so lovely to hear her speak. Um, she's really got her shit together. <laughs> um, and it was very calming talking to her. Um, she, yeah, she has a very kind of grounded way of speaking. And, you know, she even when she was talking about experiences that she had with racism, working as a healthcare professional, um, and to a certain extent, some of the kind of the trauma of being uh, pushed down a certain path to, um, I guess, out of filial piety to, to please her parents, the groundedness and the calmness with which she spoke about those experiences was really, um, it was really quite impressive um and for want of a better less cheesy word it was quite inspiring as well so really enjoyed my chat with Kat um she has a cookbook coming out but there will be details in the show notes and obviously Kat and I talk about it during the podcast episode um so yeah I hope you enjoy it and it will probably make you hungry because it's making me hungry just thinking about it and I remember I said I hadn't eaten anything yet so I'm gonna go and make myself some lunch uh, you enjoyed this episode. In terms of BC News, please keep an eye out on our social media and newsletter. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, what are you doing? Go to bcn.co.uk and sign up. It's a monthly newsletter with everything from recommendations on films and TV and books and podcasts and music to things that are going on both online and in person uh, in different communities to just general updates from us and how awesome we are. So please, please go and sign up, but keep an eye out for news about EC Heritage Month. We are opening registrations for expression of interest very soon. So if you have an idea for an event or you want to work with an organization or a group of people to put together an event for EC Heritage Month in September, please start thinking about it now. Um, our forms will be open and all the information is going to be on our channels. So watch this space and enjoy the show. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Kat. So nice to have you here with me. Good morning. How are you doing? Thank I'm you good, for having thanks. Me. No, thank you for coming. It's, uh, it's an honor to be joined by somebody who's joining us from the past because you're what, like eight hours behind me? <laughs> so you're in the future. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not looking too shabby. It's okay. 
we've uh, we've we know we've solved all those problems of like gender inequality and uh, racism and homophobia in the future no i'm just kidding <laughs> well that's still around <laughs> i need some lottery numbers oh yes very good idea okay i'm probably not going to give those out live on air so what i'll do is i'll message you after this uh, after this after this interview is done um awesome. so yeah i mean where where in the world do we find you today today i am in the seattle suburbs in, in a city called Renton. It's spelled R-E-N-T-O-N, but people call it Renton here. <laughs> it's in Washington State in the United States. I've always wanted to visit the West Coast um, of the United States. We actually had, um, we had a, a guest on, well, at the time of recording, it was last week's episode, we had um, a guest on who joined us from San Francisco and we were talking about how a dream for me would be to do a massive road trip all the way up the west coast of the states and then eventually into Canada would be such a an amazing trip um probably mainly eating just yes (laughs) just eating (laughs) visiting different places um but you, you guys have some really good like hikes and really spectacular outside outdoorsy um spots in that area as well don't you Yeah, it's what really surprised me when I moved from New York City. So I used to be in Brooklyn for over 30 years. Coming to the Seattle area, we would find trails and hike spots and hidden gems anywhere. There's so many parks, the outdoors. I think that's what made me fall in love with this area in 2017 when we moved. Just so much greenery, the fresh air, just being able to let my son bike wherever he wants down a large path and then you could see mountains and you could see just endless green you know it's just so beautiful I I don't think I'll ever move away from from this evergreen state now does um does Seattle have a um sort of significant Asian population It actually does. And another surprising thing was when we moved to Renton, I'm in a community called Greenleaf. It was all new construction. And down my block, every other person spoke Cantonese. (laughs) So you hear about Seattle freeze where people don't really befriend you or, or they'll freeze you out of their lives after meeting you once. It wasn't the case here in my neighborhood. So for the last four years, and especially during COVID, these people have become my best friends and my family members, and we exchange food, and it's just been wonderful. There, there's such a huge community of Asians. There's probably just one or two non-Asian families in this family, this community of thirty plus houses. So oh gosh, very, that's very so nice. <laughs> that's Absolutely. so nice, especially if you've ever felt kind of um, like a lot of our listenership. Um, we see like a huge divide, not a divide, but as in a difference of experience of people who grew up in kind of rural areas that weren't very diverse and people who were lucky enough to grow up in in diverse cities or in places where there were kind of pockets of community. And it, it makes such a massive difference, I think. So I'm going to start with a question that we ask everybody who comes on this podcast. And that is, you've probably guessed it, where are you from? <laughs> So Isabel of um, Proudly Asian also asked me this question, where am I from? And I said, you know, from the void, that's where we're all from, right? (laughs) From the universe. And I thought about this too. (laughs) Yeah, it's from the universe's uterus, right? Energy (laughs) can, (laughs) can neither be created or destroyed. So where did we come from? We came from some sort of 
source of energy that none of us will know about. No theorist, no scientist will give you the right answer. It's all theories and hypotheses at this point, right? We all came from this one energy source, and that's why there's this web that connects all of us, I feel. I, I'm a firm believer of this web that's invisible, but it connects us in life and in death. And I could be very spiritual about this and go on and on and on. But that's where we all come from. That's where I come from, the metaphoric void. And then when we die, maybe we'll find out the truth, right? We won't find out in our lifetimes. Where I'm from, from like where I was born, I was born in Montreal, Canada. So my family, my dad is from Vietnam, but he's Chinese. My mom is also from Hong Kong, China, Canton area. So she speaks Cantonese. My dad also speaks Cantonese and Vietnamese. And then we moved from Montreal to New York City in the 1980s. So I consider myself a full-blooded New Yorker, Brooklynite, <laughs> from the 80s all the way to 2017. And that's when I moved now. So now I'm a Seattle person, person fully in Seattle. But if you ask me, I am 100% an Asian American. So that's, I love the, I love the way that like cities have this ability to kind of morph and change people's identities. And like, because yeah, I think we see that a lot with New Yorkers, you probably see it a lot with Londoners as well. Like, you don't have to be quote unquote from London to be a Londoner. I mean, I also consider myself a Londoner. I was born in Hong Kong. I wasn't born in London. Neither of my parents were born in London nor grew up in London. Um, yet somehow we all find ourselves calling ourselves Londoners. And that's, that's I think, probably the identity that I attach myself to more than anything else. Um, because that's the thing that was the most consistent through the most formative years of my life I reckon like South London was where I grew up and that's very much a massive part of who I am today um but yeah I love that and I love that we are all just you know we're all just ejected from the universe's uterus I love that <laughs> yeah is that the answer that you give people when you like don't really want to tell them like well, you know, when you know, when you know what they're asking and they're like, basically they're saying like, what kind of Asian are you? Like, is that the answer that you give them when you don't want to give them the time of day? So me, I have to tell you this. There was one time when a patient of mine in the Seattle area kept asking me that. He's like, where are you from? Where are you from? I said, Brooklyn, New York. Right. He got so angry. He almost punched me. He was so upset because he's like, you are not from Brooklyn. You're obviously Chinese or some kind of Asian. And then he kept saying things like, konnichiwa, you know, talk to me in Asian languages. He got oh so gosh. mad. Yes, I had to walk back. I told my you know, boss at that time. And I had to fight for myself and say, you need to eject this patient from my list and from this facility moving on. He was not oh mentally gosh. stable. <laughs> some so kind I, of Asian yeah I, I, I get so scared when people ask me this question right but then when I'm being funny and I know someone is not gonna punch me in the face I would say oh for my mom's vagina where else are you from <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah when I when I know someone's no question I know someone is not gonna punch me in the face like oh my god how is that for like a really low bar like well you know when I know someone's not gonna physically abuse me <laughs> but I, I feel like unfortunately that is the world that we live in today when you don't fit a mold that they've decided that you should fit into, all of a sudden you're like an enemy 
you're mm-hmm. like this monster or this person that they suddenly detest. I think this patient had an obsession with me because he'd ask a lot of these questions and he'll remember things that I had said from weeks ago, mm-hmm. which was very, very scary. And then I talked to my husband. He's like, yeah, he sounds like a stalker, obsessed person. You know, that that's what happens when you're obsessed with someone. They don't fit mm-hmm. that model mold that you've built for them. You want to destroy them. It's very scary. Yeah, he had like a fixation and yeah. you weren't fulfilling you weren't fulfilling his needs. Well, I think that to a certain extent we do do that. We all do that in conversations. You know, our conversations follow a certain pattern. And when people don't respect the pattern, then it becomes very uncomfortable and people react differently to that. It's like yeah. if you if someone asks, How are you doing? and you say, like, I'm fine or I'm not I'm not too bad, but then on the odd occasion that someone says, no, I'm not great, actually. I mean, obviously, if it's a close friend, that's different. But like in a sort of standard small talk conversation when someone's like, no, I'm not fine. People don't really know how to react. And it's like, yes. oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, but like when you when, so when you refuse to respond to this, um, what I can only see is like a, an attempt to categorize and to and sometimes it's not in a bad way. Right. Sometimes it's just like somebody needs to be able to like categorize and relate you to something in order to make sense of something in their head, which is in of itself not necessarily a bad thing. Like we do it all the time. We ask like, oh, what's your job? Or what do you do? Where did you grow up? Because we have like preconceived ideas and notions about certain things. But like when people don't want to do it, then some people react really badly. And I always feel like mm-hmm. that's it's really important in a conversation to just take your cues from the other person. Like, it's fine to ask, you know, where are you from? But obviously accept the person's first answer. You can't just be like, no, (laughs) you know, no, you're not. You must be some kind of Asian. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So Kat, you are um, better known as the founder of uh, Subtle Asian Baking. And you also mentioned a career in healthcare. So could you could you explain a little bit to us about what you do, who you are, how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated in 2008 with a doctor in physical therapy. I also became a certified lymphedema therapist. So for 13 years, I navigated the healthcare field. I've done everything from outpatient to inpatient to lymphedema therapy to recruiting physical therapists, to being an education manager. And my final job in New York City was as a clinical professor. So an associate director of clinical education for physical therapy students in Long Island University. I really loved that job. That was a great job. had an office. I had a lot of flexibility. I was able to navigate New York City and visit my students on their clinical rotations. Absolutely wonderful. I had to give that up and then come to Seattle, Washington area with my husband, was getting very annoyed with living in New York City with a small child, with our limited space and things that were happening in the MTA. You know, hate crimes weren't as prominent on the news and the media until, you know, COVID happened. But we were feeling very stressed out in our limited space. And we're very glad that we did move because we had a 500 square feet apartment. And imagine living in a 500 square feet apartment with one bathroom, three people throughout COVID and you're just stuck in there, right? It would be very tough with a toddler. So then once I moved to Washington State, I was still a physical therapist, did a few things, went to a a short-term nursing facility, worked there during the weekends. Then I went into the, um, the outpatient setting where I was almost punched. 
And then I left that job and went into school physical therapy. Then of course, COVID happened. And when COVID happened, we're stuck at home. I did a lot of baking. And then 2018 was when I really started baking, but I was only doing macarons and banana breads and Western baking. 20, come 2020, after my trip to Japan, we came back, there was COVID time. I was really reminiscing about these amazing Asian-inspired goodies, right? The milk bread, mooncakes, mochi. I wanted to bake that way. I wanted to make those things at home because I couldn't go out all the time to get something from an Asian bakery. They were shuttered or closed and you're told to stay at home. You're not supposed to go out unless you're getting necessities. So I saw the need to create a space where bakers can all inspire, inspire each other and bake this way and then share their recipes and also learn from each other. And that's how Subtle Asian Baking was born. It was a tribute to the subtle Asian communities on Facebook. They were very popular, especially subtle Asian traits, right? You know, one in three Asians, I like to say, who is on Facebook is in a subtle Asian community. <laughs> All right. So you see a need for it. You see a need for subtle Asian baking. There wasn't one. So I just made it and I didn't expect it to blow up, but it did. And it's exponential right now. It's still blowing up. So I'm very, very proud of, of where it's going and I've left the healthcare career field right now, but who knows what's going to be down the line for me. Right? right now, I'm just giving myself a year or two to figure it out and to build a life for myself. Because very frankly, being a physical therapist was to honor my parents and to honor their dreams, not really mine. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's really brave and fascinating. And I think you've kind of, you kind of went from like, two you know there's two completely separate very very different fields like the physical therapy and then giving that up giving up that full-time job to mm -hmm. to pursue something that I guess started for you as a hobby um yeah. <laughs> that's really amazing was it terrifying it's still terrifying because I left something <laughs> that's very stable I yeah I left something that would have given me a pension in, in 10 years right so yeah. I won't get that anymore luckily I still have a husband who as a job that he's kept from New York City. He's been in that job for, for many, many years. And he's different from me in that he is very content and satisfied. You know, he doesn't need to build a community or an empire and he's happy with a stable career. So we need that, right? I need that stability, right? Subtle Asian baking is, is a startup. <laughs> it's a startup right now. And who knows what it's going to bring down the line, right? It, it takes a lot of my time. And right now, frankly, it's not been very profitable. It's, it's building up, but it will take time. And it's very frightening, right? So, so I'm so appreciative of everyone who's invited me on a podcast and helped lift me up and helped, you know, amplify my voice. It's been so needed, you know. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because just for, for, for the benefit of the listeners who, who may not, for whatever reason, be familiar with groups like Subtle Asian Traits, um, but can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about what, what is meant by this like subtle element of Subtle Asian Baking? <laughs> subtle Asian Baking, it's very funny. So there, there's been some memes going on, some, some trolling going on. But what I like to say is that Subtle Asian Baking is a diverse and inclusive community. So you don't have to be Asian to be a part of our community. You can learn to bake the Asian way. Let's say you use an ingredient, a recipe that's passed down from an Asian grandma, you know, a technique such as steaming or frying or boiling, you know, a trend fusion. That's all part of subtle Asian baking. And again, you don't have to be an Asian baker to bake the Asian way or the subtle Asian way. 
And a lot of people have been saying, why not call it very Asian, right? <laughs> I mean, it started as subtle Asian baking. I'm also all about the memes too and having the cultural diaspora, giving back tribute to the subtle Asian traits community and all of the subtle Asian communities out there. And also something fun, right? It's hard to rebrand at this point, right? I do also have modern Asian baking under my branding. So that's a subsidiary of um, subtle Asian baking. Another thing that can make it subtle is the, the funniness of it. Like some people have been saying, oh, look at her. She only makes milk breads and cheesecakes. So she's a cheesecake cult leader. <laughs> the, that funny part of it can make it subtle, right? And then now yeah. there, there was a typo that I did on one of my viral videos where I said, oh, look at my milk, my colorful milk bread with Asian flavored <laughs> it's an, my Asian flavored milk bread. And then people said, are you baking Asians in your bread? <laughs> so there's another subtlety in there, um, all these jokes that's related. But I just felt what was important was to give tribute to a bigger branding. And also <laughs> that was needed. There was subtle Asian cooking, there was subtle Asian dating, there was no subtle Asian baking. So now it's a big thing, right? Asian yeah. baking was not a thing in 2020. Now in 2022, everyone wants to be baking the Asian way, right? Everyone's Googling Asian baking. So it's been a great That's awesome. Yeah, I think I definitely think you're right about like paying homage to the subtle Asian communities that were a really big part of a lot of people's lives. Um, and I love the, I guess for me, I reckon that that subtleness is really valuable for a lot of diaspora people mm -hmm. or like second and third generation people who maybe don't feel as connected to their cultural heritage. Um, you know, but maybe they have parents who kind of came uh, and migrated over to whichever country that they grew up in. Yeah, they're recreating a certain, um, you know, certain taste of home, but maybe the maybe the ingredients that they have aren't the same as the ones that they would have got in their home countries, or maybe they've changed things, or maybe they're adapted to suit like Western palettes, mm -hmm. um, or they get adjusted over time. And then there's, you know, influences, and then you fast forward 20 years, and then your children of those people are trying to recreate these dishes. And maybe they don't have the traditional techniques, but they're kind of loosely using what they remember it needing to taste like or ingredients that they remember. And I think we, we have a lot of an issue with this word like authentic and authenticity and I think mm -hmm. that it's a kind of code word that does get weaponized a lot when we talk about diaspora cooking like oh yeah but is it authentic because it doesn't that doesn't really mean anything right it can be authentic to some particular person's kitchen um, but maybe not to another's and I think that there's a lot of imposter syndrome when it goes when it comes to cooking um, I, I personally feel often quite impostery and like the things that I make are nothing like what you know my what, what my family is used to eating but it's stuff that feels comfortable to me and it uses sort of vaguely techniques and ingredients that I'm familiar with and I guess like that's why I identify a lot with that subtle part of it is because it's not you know it, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation and for different um like transmutations of tastes and dishes and things like that Right. It's more of a culinary innovation, too. Mm. It's like a new world type of cooking, right? And what people cooked historically will always be different. They didn't have microwaves back then, 
right? They didn't have our oven. So things that we're doing now are always going to be a little bit different, a little bit more modern. And what's really important is that story we share, right? That's, yeah. That inspiration piece is what makes it so beautiful, right? It does not have to be 100% authentic, but like you said, as long as it is authentic to you and that you're sharing that piece, that's just so wonderful and magical as in its own right, you know? And you said, um, so you mentioned earlier that your decision to pursue a career in healthcare was out of, um, out of respect for your parents' wishes. So do you think that then would it be safe to say that um, the, the role that you had um, as a as a physical therapist was um, kind of culturally influenced by your parents who wanted you to go down a healthcare route? I think they saw that a lot of our family members who were making it were in the medical field. So my older sister was a dent is a dentist. My dad's uncle, uh, not uncle, my uncle. So his brother was a neurosurgeon, and they were financially stable and. You know, my mom was a seamstress who worked haunched back over at home, you know, sewing clothes, sewing clothes, sewing, <laughs> sewing, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, and then my dad, you know, worked, he woke up at 5 a.m., left the house, came home at around 8 p.m. every day on that subway, you know, and he was tired. You know, I think my parents thought, you know, if I I was smart in school. If I became a medical doctor, I'd have a career for myself where I could sustain myself and have a better life than them. That was what they knew. They wanted something stable, prestigious, honorable, and good for me financially, right? <laughs> they also wanted me to marry early. So once I hit 18, <laughs> they're like, oh, there's a dentist across the street. You want to marry him? Like he's 34. <laughs> I'm 18. I'd rather date a teenager or something, right? So yeah. yeah, it was to honor them. And it was ironic because I was afraid of blood. So I oh, couldn't no. become a, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't become a medical doctor. I was like, oh, maybe nursing, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Physical therapy is very ironic because I never love to exercise. I do now, a lot more now, like to keep fit and so you know li live a longer life, right? And now that I'm in the Pacific Northwest with all this fresh air. But it's been a very ironic journey for me these 13 years. And that's why I've had over 10 jobs as a physical therapist mm. in 13 years. I left patient care very early on to go into an office setting to become a recruiter, then the education manager, like I was telling you, then the educator. So I was always searching for something else I found. I knew, you know, and deep in my heart, I was like, maybe this is not the path for me. I'm also very empathetic. So every time someone dies, every time someone has pain, I feel it deep in my bones. Sometimes you can't sleep. I still remember patients that I've had since 2008. Oh. Those images don't ever leave you. Oh. Especially, they don't, they don't leave you. And, and all the, it, it, it just gives you all this trauma in your heart, right? Mm -hmm. so I have so much to give, but I feel like I could do it better passively with a platform and a microphone through social media versus touching someone with my own hands, you know, risking being punched <laughs> and then just, just other things, you know, um, it, it was, it's timing. It's really about timing. Yeah. Right? So now yeah. it's time for me to move on to a new path. Wow. I just, I can't stop thinking about you almost getting punched. <laughs> it's just really distressing. I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's not the about first I... time. That's a few times, <laughs> a few times in New York too. 
patient but I have a, I have a punch me <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who is um who is a doctor who is Chinese and she she said that there's a lot of hostility among older patients because there's obviously a generational thing um who who just won't support being treated by uh, a non-white doctor and I guess you know those kinds of things were really propelled into the forefront um because I'm sure you know obviously racism or sexism and, and other types of discrimination are going on in the healthcare profession all the time obviously but COVID really catapulted um healthcare racism into the spotlight um That's especially in the UK because in the UK um we have a, a really significant portion of our healthcare system um is staffed by Filipinos and um Filipinos after Indians are the second highest non-white uh ethnicity in in our health system and Filipinos were also the um the ethnic group that was dying the most disproportionately um so and and that you know a lot of some charities commissioned some really in-depth research, but um, essentially the kind of the the realization was that um, you know people from Filipino backgrounds were being asked to do the more like dangerous tasks, or they weren't uh, as adequately protected. Um, they didn't have the management positions, so they didn't feel like they could push back, and a lot of these kinds of things. Um, and it basically made people realize that you know not only are people who have Anyone who is like remotely racialized as Chinese um, is a target during this pandemic, but also, you know, the people who are caring for providing medical care for people in our healthcare system during a pandemic are also the people who are being abused verbally and physically because people don't want anyone who looks remotely Asian touching them. I mean, yeah, it's it's must it must be so hard. And as an as a as a fellow empath, I think I also would really struggle with being able to kind of disassociate or develop a thick skin. Absolutely, and also to de-escalate. You know, I had mm. to learn a lot of those strategies: being calm, you know, and not taking it personally. Because how do you go back to work after you know people people want to abuse you? <laughs> Yeah, punch you or like verbally abuse you a lot and I've been through a lot of that in the past yeah it's 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 embarrassing and shameful as well um it's very hard to deal with I mean I've been racially abused in the workplace as well and it's 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 extremely hard to do anything at that time um especially if you if you don't see it coming and if you're not used to it um but yeah no I really really I really empathize how do your parents feel now about your career change? Um, unfortunately, my, my dad had passed away in 2020. So he never knew about it because he had Lewy bodies dementia. So he he never understood like I was moving into a social media kind of career and not being a physical therapist anymore. My mom is adorable. She stalks me on my Instagram. She goes on my oh. live. She gives the likes. Oh my <laughs> God, puts- auntie. <laughs> she puts all the emojis of course she she's not who she was back then you know back then she would tell me you can't be a video gamer because you'll never make money you can't be an architect you have to be a physical therapist she basically pushed me into physical therapy she told me you know I'm going to physical therapy it looks like a good healthcare career you could get a doctorate do it you know that I was on what 18 20 22 very very young back then now I think she she is amused she's confused (laughs) 
it's quite awkward. I use the kitchen a lot. So she, she's like watching me make my content, you know, shoot the reels. And I guess she's also impressed in a sense, but she'll never tell you, but she'll give you the likes and the emojis, right? I think she's slowly accepting it. She has to, right? My, my younger yes. sister, very ironically, is an artist. She never had to go down the same path that I did because I gave so much, I was so mad about it. I, was, I had so much temper and tantrums about not being able to pursue my own dreams that they gave up and let my younger sister pursue her own dreams. So she's doing, she has an art career at this time. She has <laughs> so. you to thank for that. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. She's not completely happy with where she's at either. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe your mom, you know, she she also, she she can see that you are, you know, stable and happy and that you have financial security and uh, yeah, and I guess a lot of the time, all it takes is time, right, for parents to accept. Um, my mum, so my mum was the, um, uh, she wasn't a rebel, to be honest, because she did all the stuff that my grandpa wanted her to do. She tried studying law. She tried studying, actually, she didn't do, she didn't go in for medicine, but she did try studying law. Um, and it didn't it didn't work out for her. So she 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 compromised with languages, but then she actually ended up um being well when I was a kid, she was a ceramicist for a while. So she was a designer, like a ceramic designer. Um and she's very kind of she's she's really artsy, she's she's interested in the arts. She doesn't work as an artist now, um, doesn't pay super well so she doesn't work as an artist now but she's always maintained like a creative side um she loves music and drawing and painting and 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 all kind of art right so you'd think that she having like you know divest like she having kind of what's the word i'm looking for um kind of left the path that my grandpa um wanted for her you'd think that she would be quite supportive of, you know, she's always like, she's always said, you know, whatever makes you happy, as long as you're happy, as long as you're successful, da, 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 you can do whatever you want. But then there's just still sometimes where I just know that if I was a doctor, then she'd be really fucking happy about it. And I know this because literally even now I'm 33. So even now I still get your cousin, you know, he's a doctor. Yeah. Really? Is he? <laughs> I didn't know that you haven't told me 5,000 million times in my life like oh yeah you know your cousin the one who's an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> every uh, every cousin who's an engineer or a doctor is always 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 brought up and I somehow don't think that I ever get brought up as an as an example in in those family conversations I know I know our parents are proud of us our mothers are proud but they're very demure about it too they'll never say it you know they'll They'll do something else. They'll do something else about it. And my mom also, she'll say, when's your Netflix show coming? <laughs> so I'll Never be on good the enough. Tamron Hall. Never good enough. I'll be on the Tamron Hall show on daytime television, you know, on news channels, on all these podcasts. And she's like, oh, what's next? She's <laughs> keeping you on your toes. Yeah, she'll laugh about it with, with her friends and say, oh, I guess that's what's making her happy now, this social media thing. And she's okay at it, the baking. I mean, she eats all my baked goodies, right? But you know what? I don't really care what people think now because I'm, yes. I'm 30. I'm 38 this year and I don't care anymore. You know, it's my life now. I have to move on to my own path. When she moved in with me earlier last year, I had some anger issues because now there's two matrons in the kitchen mm -hmm. in the household and she tried to overstep 
the boundaries and, and she didn't know about boundaries. And I reverted back to the angry 13 year old daughter that I was where I was always told I was fat, short, pimply and not good enough. And so now I take a deep breath and say, you know what? I am good enough. I'm an adult now. I'm not, I'm no longer that child and I could do whatever the heck I want now. So I don't care about what other people think. You could be happy for me or you, you don't have to be happy for me. It doesn't matter. It's my life now. So reclaiming my own narrative and my own path. Oh my God. Yes. Good for you. So has your, has your kitchen like found a natural order now? <laughs> I try to, I mean, I let them know that it's really my workspace because I have to test mm. recipes and shoot all the reels. So I tell them like what time that I'll need the, the kitchen from. And then we have lunchtime and then we also cook dinner. So mm-hmm. they, they respect those times. The only one who's not respecting me right now is my dog who just keeps <laughs> barking at, you know, I'll be making bread and have this perfect reel shot and she'll go, mama, mama. <laughs> well, I have to cut the audio of that or redo it. So she's the only bad egg in the family right now. <laughs> Minus points. <laughs> Minus points. <laughs> Absolutely. So what kind of um, what kind of projects have you got coming up? Like what is on the horizon for Subtle Asian Baking? Yeah, so our Subtle Asian Baking inspired cookbook is going to be released June 28th of this year. That's amazing. I'm talking to my publisher about a second book. I'm nervous about it because I'm not sure if I could really you know, do it. It's going to be due in eight months. There's a lot of recipes I have to write. And I'm still marketing the first book but that's down in the pipeline. Um, That would give me some more financial stability, hopefully, and then I could give back to the community to Subtle Asian Baking. There's a huge project that I can't talk about yet. I hope I can soon. That's in the pipeline. And also a lot of charity work. We're going to continue to do that, the activism, and a lot of like guest speaking opportunities, keynote speeches, book signing events. I'm very, very excited about all of that. Subtle Asian Baking is growing in um, notoriety. Is that how you say the word? <laughs> Notoriety. Notoriety. Yeah, I had to think sorry. about it for a second. <laughs> uh, it's my third language, English. I'm so sorry, people. Um, so <laughs> we're growing in notoriety. And so I'm just very glad and proud and happy. It used to be me who would be sliding into people's DMs and asking for collaborations and also asking for partnerships. I've been getting a lot more asks from me from other people. So that shows you that we're growing in the right path and going down the right path. Is it just you? No, we, um, the, the bigger part of it, yes, it is just me mm-hmm. like being the social media manager of the Instagram, the TikTok. We started a Discord, you know, going, the, I'm the, basically the face of Subtle Asian Baking, but the community is huge. It's over 300, it's over 330,000 members and followers oh. across all all social media yes oh my Uh, goodness in the discord group yeah no not the discord group across across all social media oh my gosh all of the social media so the instagram is 131,000 right now the facebook group is 140 plus thousand discord is growing tiktok is 70,000 and then i have the the only one that's fully moderated is our facebook group so we have five Mm -hmm. moderators who are all volunteers and we call ourselves a family and a community this card is also moderated, so I'm very hands-off there. It has three moderators, and they do everything um, voluntarily, which is great because I, I can't afford a salary for all these volunteers at this point. So I'm very glad and, and happy about that. 
Um, but a lot of the the partnerships, collaborations, you know, reaching out to podcasts, pitching my story and things like that, yeah, that's all me. And writing the book, that's all me too. Oh my goodness. I'm not gonna lie, this sounds like a lot of work. I mean, no wonder that you <laughs> needed to do it full time. I mean, yes. <laughs> Even just managing a presence on social media is massive if you're doing it across all the platforms. I mean, hats off to you because I just don't do that. <laughs> people say that I don't work hard, but I actually work very hard. Like some people people, say, oh, those like... people know nothing about content creation. <laughs> they know nothing. They really don't. And my brain is it's always firing. What's the next recipe that I have to make, right? So I've, I've been making mochi cakes. Then I make a lemon bar mochi cake, a blueberry one, then all the gluten-free breads and all the other stuff that you know you have to create off of the top of your head then you have to write the narrative the head notes you have to write the whole recipe out you have to test it again and again and then you have to shoot the reel so I'm, I'm doing all of that from from the recipe development to the content creation it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of money a lot of money right like you, you know your equipment a lot of money right like your equipment but also like all the ingredients especially if you're making the same recipe dozens of times you know you have to constantly replenish your stock I'm curious what do you exactly. do with all of your bakes I mean you think it can't just be your mom, your mom and your kid and your and your partner eating all of those they do eat it I eat some of it and then remember I told you how my community is full of Asians yeah. and there are a lot of them are subtle Asian baking members which is oh. hilarious they'll meet me and say wait a second you're you're the founder of subtle Asian baking my friends in Hong Kong know about you and then we'll be, become friends so I have plenty of people to drop off goodies to um, just down the block. One house away from me are my best friends and they're Cantonese and uh, Chinese and they'll eat anything that I give them. They, they love it. They love the bread. So like, oh, now I have breakfast. <laughs> so it never goes to waste. I'm, I'm all about sustainability, not wasting the food that I make. I don't like it when people tell me they test the recipe 30 times, but then throw things into the garbage, right? You need to recycle that food and and make sure that you use it people are starving out there right and groceries yeah. are very expensive now and a lot of the equipment is tax deductible luckily and i i've already had it like my microphone is from my asmr days i tried to do asmr videos way back then and then i i only use my iphone to shoot everything and then everything else is already built in like the iMovie and social media is free to to make your TikTok videos. That's all free. So it's really time commitment, right? Yeah. Some monetary and mostly my time. So it's 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. I like to tell people it's when I'm oh operating. Oh my God. <laughs> Monday through Sunday these days. So I leave a nine to five to work 24 <laughs> seven. Oh my gosh. Do you, how do you, like, you must get moments where you just need to, because I mean, every, every small business owner or any, any, any kind of anyone I know who started their own initiative or their own business or whatever it is, like you are constantly in that hustle mindset and you don't switch off from the nine to five, not when it's your baby. So, but you must get points when you, you have to just stop and take care of you like how do you do that do you how do you it does, do you impose any boundaries like <laughs> do you do you take vacations do you take breaks vacations have been a non-existence due to covid but we are going to vancouver next week and this is a year where i'm going to fly a lot so i'm going to go to new york for a book signing i'm possibly going to california i'm going to florida to be a keynote speaker 
Oh, those all work related, but then we're also going to <laughs> sorry. <laughs> then we're going to go to Hawaii for a wedding, so that'll be my my one vacation. I'm making sure that my mom's going to go on a cruise with the friend down the block. Um, it's it's still really good because yes, I say that I work almost nonstop, but I of course give myself breaks. Like after a podcast, I'll probably go and you know read a book, have some lunch. And that's the beauty of working from home and, and yeah. being your own boss, right? You don't have to constantly perform for someone else. You're performing for yourself. So I give myself a lot of grace too. You know, I, I fully believe in healthy mental health and healthy bodies. I give myself time to do exercise, to go outside for fresh air, to walk my dog, to eat food, you know, definitely give myself breaks. You, you can't not be good to yourself. You only have this one life and this one core, right? So Yes, I do take care of myself too. So right after this, I'm going to go take a nice coffee break. <laughs> it sounds like you really make sure that your cup is your cup is full. Um, oh my God, I, I think I need to move to your neighborhood just so I can be part of this community that's benefiting from all of these uh, these bakes that you're dropping off all the time. Everyone's gained weight. And so a lot of, some people have said that they don't want it anymore. <laughs> it's not good I love what you said about that about food waste as well like I can just hear my mother's voice in in my 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 mom does not waste food like any food I've never met somebody who's so um I don't even know what the word is like thrifty is one thing but she's like almost entrepreneurial with her food like she can just make things go for so much longer and she will painstakingly just eat absolutely everything that's in the fridge before you know buying new stuff and, and like my mom she's versatile yeah. I mean, my mom my mom lived through like post um post-war post-1975 life in Vietnam with eight siblings uh so a really big family of 10 where obviously there wasn't you know a huge amount of food to eat and she I mean I don't I, I think she would you know exaggerate when we were kids but she would be like you know when we were kids our parents used to well you know when we were growing up our parents used to divide all the food into eight but the boys would eat the most and she had seven brothers so like they would get the biggest parts and she'd be like you know we'd share a banana and now I'm like were you really sharing a banana I feel like that might have been an exaggeration but it was like drilled into us at the time, you know, like never, ever, ever waste food yeah. because you don't ever know when you're going to have to go without food. And I, I think that's like so well to that such a yeah, cultural like, story with my mom. Yeah, it's yeah. it's such a like it's a it's a cultural hand me down. And even now, like if I'm eating dinner with my partner and he leaves food on the plate, but not not enough to kind of keep in a box you know like if, if there's a lot left obviously you can put it in a box but if he leaves like a mouthful just like why would you leave it why wouldn't and he'll say well I'm full and he'll like, but why uh, why would you why would you either not eat it or keep it I just yeah it's 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 like it it's just like fully hammered into my as like into my everyday life I don't think it's ever going to go away you know what's crazy to me how our grandmas can pop out so many children and like I'm done with one, and I do not know how they did it back then. <laughs> I, I I can't. It's just I crazy. Mean, yeah. <laughs> my mom is one of nine. I just think that's wait. Hang on, have I got that right? Seven brothers and a sister. Yeah, she's one of nine. Oh my god. I, I I can't. And my grandma was a tiny woman as well. You know, I just I mean, my mom is also a tiny woman. I mean, my mom, I only like she only had two kids, but when she had me, she was basically completely housebound for like the last six months of her pregnancy. 
um, which she likes to bring up a lot. Like, you know, there's there's always that like mother mother's guilt. Um, yeah. She likes to hold that over my head a lot because, um, you know, it was my fault that she couldn't do anything. When she was pregnant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I do think about that a lot. Like she is so I mean, my mom is really small and my grandma was even smaller. So the fact that she can have produced nine children is just beyond me. <laughs> they were built differently than us <laughs> yeah maybe i mean maybe they had healthier diets i don't know um yeah so you talked a little bit about the charity fundraisers that you've done um with subtle asian baking i know that you are currently uh, you're doing a fundraiser for ukraine is that right yes so the ukraine fundraiser is not as established as what mm-hmm. we've been doing for stop asian hate which is part of our purpose and our mission for subtle Asian baking. But since 2020, we've raised over $30,000 now for oh various charities. Yeah, for um, Black Lives Matter, for helping the people of Ukraine. So that's all different funds. So UNICEF, Save the Children, and also World Central Kitchen. Kitchen. It's very hard to say that three words. World <laughs> Central Kitchen. <laughs> World, Central, World Central Kitchen. Right. <laughs> and then so now what we're focusing on is um, again stop Asian hate and we're, we've raised $11,000 and then we're going to split those funds half and half to one to Heart of Dinner which is in New York City it'll provide meals to older adults and food insecure people who are in New York City and the other half will go to Michelle Lee's the Very Asian Foundation to help amplify Asian voices we also encourage our bakers to donate proceeds of their bake sales to any charity that resonates with them. So a lot of us have been donating portions of proceeds to help the people of Ukraine. I have not been tracking that, but we did help a few bakers, like one of them raised $7,000, no, just by amplifying their stories and also personally donating and also inspiring other people. Another baker raised $5,000. So I'm also part of this bake for Ukraine group and they've collectively raised $50,000 for the people of Ukraine from bake sales alone so amazing and that was just in one month wow I'm just so happy to be part of all these collaborations and bigger fundraising efforts we are also doing something in May it's very fun so I can't reveal it now yet because the rest of the team would be upset with me but we're all going to be making breads and we're also going to be um, fundraising for the Asian Mental Health Collective, Asian American Mental Health Collective, because we don't talk about mental health enough as Asian Americans Very and true. Asians in general. We also don't talk about death a lot. Down the line, that's what I'm going to focus on is hospice and dying peacefully for older adults who are Asians. Um, but those are all down the line. So many projects. It must have been um, quite comforting because uh, I mean so f- for us in the UK that I mean obviously it's, st- it's still going on but um, you know when the Stop Asian Hate movement was created you know that was actually it was a really really scary time and still is for a lot of people but particularly when people were locked down and um, when physical and verbal uh, incidents of physical and verbal abuse were really spiking. It was a really terrifying time with, for, for everybody, um, you know, the world over, anybody who didn't live in a majority Asian country. Um, but, you know, we were looking across the pond and seeing a lot of this 
horrific abuse was concentrated in certain parts of, of, of the US. Um, and it just seemed like every other day there was some horrible story coming out of the US that was really impacting all of us. And I think, you know, there was a kind of collective, global collective diasporic grieving and trauma um, and I, I was thinking about that when you said something about being an empath and, you know, you really feel it. And I think, you know, every time I actually saw a really horrible story yesterday um, about an elderly man in Hawaii. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go into it because I, I don't want to traumatize anybody. But even just yesterday, you know, that that those stories, they they hurt me. You know, they uh, we all feel it when we read about those things. Um, right. And so I can't imagine how how it must have been living through that in the states in a place where a lot of the uh, the attacks and incidents were concentrated and so I guess was it did it feel helpful to be channeling your feelings into this community and to know that you had a community like that there was a community who wanted to do something positive to help I think it's so important just yesterday someone told me to stop being angry and negative and pessimistic on my social media because I respond to trolling and bullies and the hate but why should I be quiet because you understand the hate has been unprovoked Michelle Goh Christina Yuna Lee the older adult in Honolulu did they do anything wrong other than existing as Asians did they they did not just for looking the way we look, right? Not even seeing a word. They were brutally attacked. So Michelle Yuna Lee, I mean, Michelle Go and Christina Yuna Lee, they were both murdered for being Asian American women. They did nothing. They did not speak out. They did not dress a certain way. They were not hateful themselves, right? The hate is just unprovoked. That's why we need to speak out. And if now I have a platform of over 300,000 people that I could reach, 13 million audience is my audience these days throughout my social media channels. I will be as verbal, as creative, and as loud as I need to be to help stop Asian hate. It hits too close to home. What recently happened on 36th Street Station in Brooklyn, New York with the shooting, I was there every day in that station. I could have been there with my son if I still lived in New York City today. Going to work, that was my stop, right? To transfer, to go back to Coney Island or to go back to friends and hers. All of this has hit way, way too close to home. And all of it is just because of who we look like, right? We've always been silent. We've always been the model minority. We put our heads down. We don't say anything. And yet we are still attacked. So now we have to speak up. We have to be vocal. We, we can't be afraid of being visible because we've been invisible for way too long, right? I'm tired of that hate and I'm tired of being told to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, I'm really tired of it. I am not going to do that anymore. So I'm going to be as vocal and viral and visible as I can be to help my community. Absolutely. Vocal, viral, and visible. I love it. Absolutely. That's a new, it's a new hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> too many hashtags <laughs> yeah um so have you had any like I'll, 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 I'll like maybe I'm gonna move the conversation in a slightly more uplifting direction yes. now as we wrap up because <laughs> I think um I think that what you said will resonate with a lot of people and I think that you know particularly as we're sort of coming out of the other side of a pandemic which is by no means over but I think a lot of people um 
might struggle to readjust and and that all of the stuff that's happened in the last two years is not going to go away um but maybe uh for people who are exactly it's not new this is not a i think that sometimes (laughs) the word hate the word hate can kind of imply that it's just a one-off incident but actually this is something that's really systemic within our our societies and has been for you know many 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 decades for various you know social geopolitical reasons but i think that maybe people who are outside the communities are going to there may be have a tendency to think oh well that's that's you know COVID's over now so this isn't a problem anymore um but it's not true i think COVID was just uh it was like the driver that allowed people to unleash a lot of hatred that had Mm -hmm. just lain dormant or maybe was popping up but just not being talked about um but so I think people probably needed a bit of a like a, a lift. And I think what you said was really kind of encouraging and very inspiring and just shows us the power of community, which we know all too well at BC. But I am going to move us in a very positive direction. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you if you have any like really spectacular baking fails that come to mind. Like just really those just like, oh, fuck moments. <laughs> Well, okay, so the Japanese cheesecake took me three years to perfect. <gasps> that three years! Three years to perfect. So 2018 all the way to 2021. And then I finally published a perfect recipe for the Japanese cheesecake, but it's flopped a lot of times. The funniest moment was when my neighbor, Kelly, <laughs> she, she followed my recipe to the T. And we have the same oven. <laughs> and then she took it out. And she flipped it out and the whole thing just like destroyed, got destroyed on, on her counter. She sends me a picture and I'm like, why is she showing me vomit? <laughs> it is her destroyed Japanese. She's like, yeah, it's underbaked. I followed your recipe. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so it wasn't my fail, but it was Kelly's fail. But it was really memorable and historic. I think I still have the picture somewhere. Oh and then of course, gosh. macarons. Macarons are always a fail for me when I was doing the French method. I was trying a very long time to perfect them. Now they're perfected, but back then some of them didn't have feet, some were wrinkly, some came out looking like <laughs> like vomit <laughs> also. So yeah, m- plenty of fails. I mean, even now when I'm testing new recipes, there it probably takes three or four times before the recipe becomes slightly perfect. Yeah, and people don't see all of the hard work and the efforts and the camera angles and the and all of the work that goes into taking that perfect and picture. the burns. All yes. the burns and the cuts. <laughs> the like, like, my blood, sweat, and tears have literally gone into this. Literally. Yes, yes, it's true. <laughs> it really is Asian baking. Okay, so I'm going to finish off the podcast with a few quick questions, which I don't want you to think about too much. Um, just give me your, like, give me your impulse answer. Okay, so would you rather fight a dragon or um run a half run a marathon along the great wall of china i think fight a dragon because that's so so fantastical and i love like rpgs and fantasy and science fiction so definitely fight a dragon if i could have some magical powers too (laughs) okay okay um okay here's another question um we actually have asked a few people this at bc and get this you know a running debate going on between two of our co-founders. Um, when a recipe asks you for a thumb-sized piece of ginger, do you take like the the bit, like 
of your thumb pad, like the size of your thumb pad, <laughs> or like the size of your entire thumb. I think just one of the metatarsals, though, just just half of it. Oh, of course, you would know <laughs> the, the actual like official really name, <laughs> the thumb pad bit. <laughs> Maybe just half of it. <laughs> okay, so you would take a metatarsal-sized piece of ginger. Yeah, I hope it's called the metatarsal. I'm very very. <laughs> You'd be really embarrassed. You're gonna be really embarrassed. To, that's wrong. Yeah, I need to brush up. Don't kill me, physical therapists and and that and <laughs> out there. <laughs> okay, and finally, are you team rice or team noodle? <sighs> noodle. Yes. Ramen noodle. No one noodle. ever says noodle. We are Why? a minority. We are a minority. <laughs> um, there's there's we're we're under a uh, B scene. Uh, we've got. A small number of team noodle um, advocates, and we like to say that we're living in a rice supremacy. <laughs> I love it when it's QQ, you know, the chewy noodle, the hand pulled. Oh, yeah. It's so addictive with soup and like some chili crisps and all of that. So definitely that. And rice is for me just so bland. It's just a vessel for your gravies and your curries and your all everything else. So. Don't get me wrong. I love rice. And there is, there is like, you know, it's a really, really important part of a lot of meals. And obviously we all love both. But when I think about what I need, when I just need a lift or when I feel like I need comfort, like it's always noodle dishes. Right. And yeah. also I very recently learned how to make bang bang noodles. Ooh. And there is something so just so satisfying about eating something that's delicious that you've made yourself like right. from scratch. I'm never going to grow my own rice. So <laughs> I feel Send like me I will, that yeah. recipe, please. <laughs> it's actually, so Viv Yao is the, um, she's one of our co-founders and it's, it's, it's Auntie Yao's um, recipe. Um, it's a family recipe, which I will send you. Um, and, uh, it's it's called it's it's called uh, Mama Yao's Noddle recipe. That's what she calls nice. it. <laughs> Maybe we can we can collaborate on something because my next book is most likely going to be savory cooking. Oh really? Yeah. Versus wow. Definitely, definitely. Up for that. We'll see if Mama Yao wants to get involved. Um, <laughs> so, if people want to buy the book when it comes out, where can they buy it, and what is it called? Thank you. Um, so it's Modern Asian Baking at Home. It's released June 28th. It's available for pre-order now worldwide, Kindle or hardcover. You can go to modernasianbaking.com slash pre-order. It's at Waterstones for the UK audience. It's also on Book Depository, Booktopia, Amazon UK. So you can find it anywhere. Just You just Google Modern Asian Baking at Home by Kat Lu and you'll find it. Fantastic. I'm so excited. I can't wait to order it. Um, yeah, we'll make sure that that is in the show notes as well. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? Absolutely. So you won't really find me online as under Cat Lou right now, but you can find me in Instagram. It's subtleasian.baking. TikTok is also subtleasian.baking. Discord is Subtle Asian Baking, and then Facebook is the Subtle Asian Baking Group. It is a private group that you will have to answer some questions and follow our rules to join, but it's very easy to find. So if you Google Subtle Asian Baking, you'll find everything there too. Also check out our website, modernasianbaking.com has lots of free recipes. Fantastic. Well, thank you very, very, very much for coming to join us today. It was such a Aww. lovely conversation, really nice, and I feel like really varied. Like we covered a lot of different stuff. You know, we went from like 
filial piety to dragon fighting to getting punched <laughs> in the face uh, to being it's your perfect. own boss yeah I feel like we covered so much it. ground thank you well, so thank much you so much no thank you I'm I'm so honored to be here you know I I feel like this is great because you guys had Domi Shi right on yeah podcast and um, she was on our on too. our YouTube channel yeah so I feel so honored oh thank you invited. so thank you well you know if you ever really really want to thank us you know we do we do all like to eat so you know if you ever want to like post us some uh post us some mochi or <laughs> something <laughs> you think it might stay intact all the way from seattle you know we're, we're definitely open to it i think it would i'll just keep it frozen you know put some dry <laughs> ice in there i'll remember that <laughs> or i'll get some uk people who are part of subtle asian baking to drop oh yeah i could do that uk people we need you so yeah, this ask. was <laughs> this was but where are you from a podcast by be seen britain's east and southeast asian network we were joined today by kat lu aka subtle asian baking or the face behind subtle asian baking um, we will make sure that all of kat's uh, links are in the show notes um, as well as the upcoming release of the book so please 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 pre-order pre-order really helps with sales um, you can find be seen on instagram at besea.n and twitter at besea underscore n or our website beseen.co.uk please 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 keep your eye on all of our channels for news about ec heritage month september 2022 we will soon be opening the registrations for events last year was a huge success um, with over 70 events uh, around the uk and we want to make this year's even bigger and better with more notice so please keep an eye out and as ever if you like what you what we do then please consider slinging us a few spare coins via our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash be seen. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye.